A lot of people have asked me what my opinion is on the Facebook whistleblower who testified in front of Congress, and um, this is this is my opinion. I don't think these so-called whistleblowers actually know what the word whistleblower means anymore. First, with that Ukraine whistleblower who just had a difference of policy opinion with Donald Trump, nothing that was illegal, no wrongdoing, nothing to actually blow the whistle on, just an opinion that should have been taken out at the polling, at the voting booth, nothing that ha that is not what a whistleblower is. That's the same with this Facebook whistleblower. What's her name? Frances Haugen, um, I think is her name. What wrongdoing is she actually claiming is happening at Facebook? I mean, I, I think our claims are that young girls are being harmed by Instagram, that their self-image, their self-esteem or something is harmed by Instagram. Okay, well, that seems to me to be a parenting problem, not a product problem. A parenting problem is letting your young girls who are too impressionable to be on social media be on social media, just my opinion on the matter, but that's certainly not illegal. She also claims that Facebook is damaging our democracy. That right there, that's strictly an opinion. Like you, you can dislike how vitriolic comments are on Facebook, how people are keyboard warriors, they're anonymous and they're rude and they hurl ad hominem attacks. But again, how is that illegal for one thing? How is that wrongdoing by Facebook? What does she think she's blowing the whistle on? Does she think that we don't know that Facebook is a toxic cesspool? So she thinks it's damaging our democracy. Okay, okay, I think a lot of things are damaging to our democracy, but I don't take it to Congress to try to get them to regulate other people's speech. She literally, this is what she said. She said, someone I was incredibly close to who was really important to me, I lost them to misinformation on the internet and I never want anyone to feel the pain that I felt, end quote. So my question, before I'm disrespectful of this quote, when she said that she lost someone, did this person die? Were they killed? Did, did they kill themselves, God forbid? Because when she said she lost them to misinformation, I think she just means that they changed their mind on an opinion that they no longer saw eye to eye with her. That's not losing someone to misinformation. That's the most ridiculous thing. I mean, she's acting like, I lost someone to cancer. I lost someone uh, to diabetes. I lost someone in a car wreck. You lost them to misinformation so they don't agree with you politically anymore and you let the friendship go because of that? That's more of a commentary on you and not a commentary on Facebook. And don't get, don't get me wrong. I'm not defending Facebook here. Facebook has demonetized me because they disagree with my opinion. I think what they're doing uh, to stifle free speech in our country is atrocious. But again, what is this woman blowing the whistle on? Is anything illegal happening? The only allegations that I heard or that I could glean from what she said are that criminals and traffickers use Facebook to coordinate which this actually wasn't a secret. We didn't need to blow the whistle on this because we already knew it. We saw actually that um, coyotes in Mexico were in other Central and South American countries were advertising their trafficking services on Facebook. They would actually put phone numbers and prices of how much it would cost to get safe passage to the United States. And Facebook knew about this because it was talked about widely in the media and Facebook chose not to do anything about it. So we didn't, we didn't need a whistle blown on this. It's bad when this happens, sure but we didn't need a whistle blown on this and acting. We don't need to act like this is new information. The thing that could be illegal is if Facebook is mining information, like data mining children. So Facebook has been fined $5 billion before for doing this by the FTC. If they're doing this again, by all means, let's hold them accountable. We're on the same page. Facebook is also allegedly misleading investors about uh, their advertising reach. And if that's true, then that's a violation for sure. And that's something the FTC should take care of. But we have to ask this question. When we listen to Frances Haugen, we should say, well, what is this woman's motivation to label herself a whistleblower, to first talk to the Wall Street Journal and now talk to Congress? Um, she knew that she would be a headline across the entire country, that the mainstream media would jump on this. So what is her motivation for doing this if there's nothing 
very seriously egregious and illegal, no wrongdoing that's just shocking to everybody's sensibilities happening behind the scenes at Facebook. What is her motivation here? Well, her motivation is actually very clear because she articulated what her motivation was. She articulated a cure for the wrongdoing. And that's actually how you can differentiate between an activist and a true whistleblower is when they want to prescribe their preconceived policy notions. Um, that's what they want to solve the problem that they're there discussing. So what this whistleblower wants is she wants government intervention in Facebook. She wants regulation. She wants oversight. Those are the words she's using. What that means, of course, is she wants a ministry of truth from the government who bosses around, regulates, um, forces Facebook, who is a private entity, a private business, to act the way that they want. And the brunt of the problem that this woman has with Facebook and Facebook-owned Instagram comes down to a speech issue. She wants speech that she disapproves of, speech that she thinks is damaging to a democracy, speech that she doesn't like that you're saying that her friend listened to. She wants that speech stifled. In fact, she said that. She said she wants to, quote, purge hateful, angry, polarizing content. Now, the traditional definition of those words um, doesn't mean conservative voices, but we know the subjective definition or interpretation of these words when it comes from big tech, they label conservatives as hateful. They label Trump voters as angry. They label Christians as intolerant and polarizing. Anything that questions an institution, anything that questions um, a government official, any skepticism of people like Dr. Fauci or any other so-called expert in their field, this is what they label as something that's not only misinformation, but dangerous. And so this is what this woman wants. She wants a ministry of truth sanctioned by the government that will essentially serve to stifle your opinion and my opinion. She didn't ask the federal government to enforce existing laws, which would take care of a lot of the actual law-breaking or wrongdoing that Facebook is engaging in. And furthermore, when you actually say, okay, that's, that's her motivation, but who is she? This is a woman, she's a far leftist who's donated multiple times to very far left politicians and organizations She's currently represented by Jen Psaki's former PR firm, and she's repped by the Ukraine whistleblower, whistleblower's legal team. So this is not necessarily some altruistic, nonpartisan whistleblower who's risking her job and her career and her reputation to expose wrongdoing. No, this is an activist who wants government to take over big tech. Do not fall for it. We're going to talk next about how to save our country from big tech because whistleblower aside, Big tech is a huge problem, and we do need to figure out how to fix it. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. So there's an easy way and there's a hard way to save our country from the clutches of big tech. The hard way, of course, is to allow our nation on its current path, which would essentially would descend into an information dark age. We talked about this last week. That's the hard way. Once you're in this information dark age, it's going to be awfully hard um, to claw our way out of it. So let's not do that, shall we? Let's not allow our country to get to that point. The easy way to save our country from big tech, we're going to talk about it in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about ExpressVPN. So we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and your privacy and your security online, right? But I didn't know until relatively recently that you can also use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are ostensibly only available in other countries. It's, it's really simple. This is how it works. You just fire up the ExpressVPN app. You change your location to any other country. We'll use the UK as an example. Refresh your streaming service, maybe Netflix, maybe Hulu. That's all there is to it. See, ExpressVPN hides your IP address 
and lets you control where you want websites to think you are located. So you can choose from almost 100 different countries. Think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. It's not just Netflix, though. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there. But in my opinion, ExpressVPN is the best because they are ridiculously fast. No buffering, no lag. You can stream in HD, no problem. It's also compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So if you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash Liz, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So support the show, watch what you want, protect yourself and your family online at expressvpn.com slash Liz, expressvpn.com slash Liz. So lest you think that I was downplaying how serious the big tech problem is, I was not in in any stretch, not by any means. Um, I think Frances Haugen appears to be um, not a true whistleblower. I question her motivations. I question the reality of her claims. Not, Not that Facebook... I don't, I don't question the claim that Facebook knows that Instagram is harmful to young girls or that Facebook is data mining. I, I think that that's true. But I question um, why the mainstream media is so quick to pick her up, why the Democrats are so quick to embrace her, because I don't think she's the real deal. I think she just um, is a tool. She's a strategy, essentially, that helps the left purport their agenda with big tech, which is to put government in charge of it. God forbid. I mean, what would be worse than big tech right now except if we put government bureaucrats in charge of it. Imagine if Congress were in charge of it. So we do have a huge problem with big tech. As I said, I, I'm stifled constantly, constantly on big tech. Facebook has demonetized me. Instagram smacks these labels over my videos saying that they're misinformation and missing context. YouTube doesn't even let me post topics like transgenderism or COVID-19 when we're discussing the science of the thing, discussing the politics of the thing, questioning Questioning is the key word here because that's what science is. It's questioning. So just so we're all aware of how serious this is escalating, and it is escalating. It continues to escalate. YouTube just trotted out new terms of service when it comes um, to COVID-19, especially information related to the COVID-19 vaccine. They just released a laundry list of things that you're not allowed to talk about on YouTube when it comes to COVID-19 vaccine under penalty of the video being pulled down and perhaps your channel getting a strike. If you get three strikes, as you know, you're kicked off of YouTube. So this is what some of YouTube's new terms of service are. It's, it's, it's really, truly shocking. I know it's hard to be shocked at this point about anything on big tech, but some of this is laughable. Like, it's laughable if it weren't real, if it weren't preventing us from having the conversations that we want and need to have about our country and the things happening to us. So they say you're not allowed to post on YouTube, quote, claims about COVID-19 vaccinations that contradict expert consensus from local health authorities or the World Health Organization. So this is stupid, um, of course, because literally, Wolensky, the head of the CDC, we talked about this in yesterday's show, she literally just came out and said, what the vaccine can't do anymore is prevent transmission of the Delta variant of COVID-19. But if you or I were to say that very thing on YouTube a week ago, maybe even now, I'm not gonna test it out and try it, but we wouldn't be allowed, it would be pulled down. That's how ridiculous this is. You shouldn't have rules about what you claim is the fact, that you claim is objective truth if it's a constantly changing situation. Because then you're just stifling one person who is not in power from saying the same thing that you're letting a person in a position of power from saying. That's an awful thing. That's, that's basically, it's communism, right? Marxism, where there's this, these two different sets of standards where the elite are allowed to do whatever they want and say whatever they want, but the sorry people, you and I, are not. So that's what they start by saying. Then they say you're not allowed to post content 
that recommends use of ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine for the prevention of COVID-19. You're not allowed to post claims that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are safe to use in the treatment of COVID-19. This makes no sense to me, though, when they claim that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are not safe for use because, first of all, ivermectin literally won the Nobel Prize, the Nobel Prize in 2015 for humans. I know the mainstream media likes to pretend that this is solely, exclusively a livestock, livestock drug, but that's not true. For human use, for human use, it won the Nobel Prize in 2015. It's obviously um, as safe as any pharmaceutical drug is. I wouldn't call it like safe, safe, just because I'm a crunchy person, but it's literally safe by the standards of the left. The same with hydroxychloroquine. This drug has been around for decades. We all know exactly what the side effects are of hydroxychloroquine. This is just YouTube prefers that you get the vaccine. They prefer to listen to Dr. Fauci's policy uh, recommendations, and they prefer you not to question it. That's all that that means. There's not actually an inherent safety issue to those two drugs any more so than if they were prescribed for people um, that had parasitic problems or malaria problems, which is what those drugs, their antivirals, what they are used for on a regular basis. It's, like I said, this would almost be laughable, except YouTube is preventing us from having discussion. You are also not allowed to post um, about treatment for COVID-19 that is, or prevention, I should say, of COVID-19 that is not approved by public health authorities. So you're not allowed to post claims, and this is a quote, uh, that wearing a mask is dangerous or causes negative physical health effects or claims that masks do not play a role in preventing the contraction or transmission of COVID-19, end quote. So this is interesting because there was literally a study, a scientific study done that showed that children's oxygen saturation dropped dropped when they wore masks and their inhalation of carbon dioxide, which is what you exhale, obviously, when you breathe, it became the inhalation of their previously exhaled carbon dioxide was at levels that are considered dangerous for children. So this actually wasn't even a public health recommendation. This was a study on the impacts that masks have on children. And now we're not allowed to talk about that on YouTube. I don't know why, because that's pretty significant. Maybe it's because YouTube is far left, far leftists are in bed with the teachers' unions. The teachers' unions want people, want children masked in school. But truly, it seems, according to the scientific studies, that it's dangerous for children. That's not even taking into account the risk children have of COVID-19, which, you know, we don't need to talk about that. Um, claims that masks do not play a role in preventing the contraction or transmission of COVID. Again, there are, I mean, you can look at anecdotal evidence. You can look at empirical evidence, meaning what we've seen happen in practicality over COVID. And you can look at these studies that repeatedly say, actually, you need two masks. Actually, you need three masks. Actually, you'd have to have it laboratory fitted around your face to prevent even the slightest aerosol from escaping if you want to reduce the transmission of a viral illness like COVID-19. But we're not allowed to question this, even though the scientific studies do. So you're also not allowed to question um, anything that has to do with the with the vaccine. You're not allowed to you're not allowed to post anything that an approved COVID-19 vaccine might cause death, infertility, miscarriage, autism, or contraction of other infectious diseases. So even operating, even if we were to accept the premise of big tech or or big pharma or the public health officials like Fauci, the vaccines even operating by their premise, the vaccines still can cause death. They still can cause miscarriage. I don't know about the other two things because it's too, too soon to tell, um, but they have caused deaths. Look at the VAERS data. Right now in VAERS, there are 14,000 deaths. We know that there are miscarriages. The public health officials actually don't claim that the vaccines don't cause death or miscarriage. They just say it's very, very rare. It's so rare that they say it's a freak occurrence. But on YouTube, you're not even allowed to add that nuance. You're just not allowed to make that claim at all. Just completely ignoring the over 10,000 people, up to 14,000 people, who at least according to VAERS, 
have been killed by this vaccine have died as a result of this vaccine. It's, I mean, it's shocking. It's shocking the length that YouTube is going to to try to get everybody to take this vaccine, even while we know that this vaccine is not preventing transmission of the Delta variant of COVID-19. It's nuts. Um, this one is also particularly egregious. And as you know, um, th this is a topic that really is, is near and dear to my heart, we will say. So you're not allowed to post, quote, claims that an approved COVID-19 vaccine will contain substances that are not on the vaccine ingredient list, such as biologic, biological matter from fetuses, e.g. fetal tissue, fetal cell lines, or animal products, end quote. This is extremely misleading because it doesn't have to be on the vaccine ingredient list for it to have been tested against fetal cell line, which is fetal tissue, which is the body parts of aborted babies. Just because it is not in the vaccine, in the injection going into your arm, doesn't mean that it is not compromised by the blood of these unborn children. It was tested against fetal cell lines in the laboratory to see if it was effective against humans. But you're not allowed to say that on YouTube because it's not on the vaccine ingredient list. That is so egregious for those of us with religious objections to using another human being in the creation of a vaccine. You, I mean, that is beyond the pale. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can quibble if you want. You can make your... Uh, your opposition to the free speech violations that YouTube is engaging in known, this is beyond the pale because now you're not even allowed to talk about the fact that aborted babies were used in the production of these vaccines because the nuance for YouTube, the nuance that it's not on the vaccine ingredient list somehow makes it misinformation or fake news. It's awful. It's awful. I mean, th this is just an example of what YouTube is censoring. There's, there's actually a whole page of other things. These, this is just a small sampling. So as I said, don't get me wrong. Big tech is a huge problem. They also are prohibiting any content on their platform that, quote, encourages the use of home remedies, prayer, or rituals in place of medical treatment, such as consulting a doctor or going to the hospital. So if you, if you make a video and you encourage prayer instead of calling a doctor, you're not allowed to do that on YouTube anymore. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And by the way, at the very end of this, they say, note, YouTube's policies on COVID-19 are subject to change in response, uh, subject to change in response to changes to global or local health authorities' guidance on the virus. So isn't it hilarious how the science changes as the politics of the thing changes? We have a problem on our hands, ladies and gentlemen, a big problem. And there is one person, one single person, believe it or not, who I believe could fix this problem. We're gonna get to that in one second, but first I wanna talk to you about NED. What is NED, you might ask? Well, NED is your approachable CBD product. CBD helps you combat um, stress, sleep, pain, anxiety, or inflammation. Now, the CBD market has been extremely saturated over the last few years, it can seem like um, well, you can buy CBD in almost every coffee shop, coffee shop or grocery store. Many of the CBD companies out there source their hemp from industrial farms in China, which is a big no-no. But all of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. Um, but I do want to talk to you for a second about Ned's brand new product, which has been in development for over a year. It's a de-stress blend, they call it. It's a one-to-one -one formula of CBD um, and CBG, it's made from the world's purest full-spectrum hemp and features a botanical infusion. So if you want to try the new Distress Blend from Ned, a brand that we love and trust, we have a special offer for the Liz Wheeler Show audience. Every order over $40 
qualifies for 15% off plus a free sample of the de-stress blend. So go to helloned.com slash Liz or enter Liz at checkout to take advantage of this offer. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Liz to get 15% off plus a free de-stress blend sample in any order over 40. Okay, so I, the solution to the big tech problem, we've established that it's a problem and that it's an escalating problem, even though the whistleblower is probably full of it. But I, I've had evolving thoughts actually on how to solve this issue. How do we fix the big tech problem? Because what I don't want to do is I don't want to give government more power. I don't want to give AOC. I don't want to take the reins away from Mark Zuckerberg and give them to AOC. I mean, that's, that's a stupid person's idea of a solution here. That would be jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire. So my original thoughts, and like I said, I've evolved somewhat on this. My original thoughts on the big tech issue was, well, the market should solve this, right? Government doesn't have a place in this. The market should solve this. We should encourage competition um, to take, you know, because when there's competition, it forces platforms, any product, but in this case, big tech platforms, um, to cave to the demands of their users, especially if their users can turn elsewhere if they don't like the product that they are being given. However, however, when I originally proposed the idea of competition, I thought the platforms that are competing with Facebook would also need to make money so that anybody who's making money on Facebook can have a monetary incentive to turn somewhere else. But then came Parler, right? And Parler kind of changed the whole thing because it made me realize how deeply embedded the big tech uh, strategy is in our country. So the Parler case study essentially was um, big tech didn't want Parler to be in existence anymore. Parler is a competition to Twitter. And so to get rid of Parler, Apple and Google stepped in first. Apple banned Parler from their app store. Google banned Parler from their Play Store. So people couldn't get the app on their phones anymore. So Parler couldn't compete. So Parler said, okay, well, we're just gonna host our website. You can, you can go directly to the website. You can just favorite it on your homepage, blah, blah, blah. And then Amazon stepped in because Amazon Web Services, AWS, they host a lot of websites. In AWS, Amazon said, we're not gonna let you host your website on our servers anymore. You have to get off of our servers. And that's when I realized that this is a way bigger deal than just strict competition, meaning go out and create a product, make it good and draw people to it, force these other big tech platforms to, uh, to adjust their product accordingly. This is a lot bigger deal because now what we're dealing with is we're dealing with monopolies. So when we're dealing with monopolies, first of all, we have antitrust laws that should be applied to big tech, obviously. We also have section 230, which gives these big tech platforms the liability of a platform uh, or takes away the liability of a publisher, I should say, because they're supposed to be just platforms here. And so they're not responsible for the content. But if you're not responsible for the content, you're also not allowed to take an editorial role. So clearly big tech is trying to have their cake and eat it too here. They're trying to be liability free while also taking an editorial role. So we have existing laws on the books, monopoly laws, antitrust laws, and then section 230 that should be addressed. Um, some people say we should break up Facebook. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. We might even get into that topic in a little more in depth on a different day here. But the solution, this has been a long time coming. I know, I appreciate you guys bearing with me. The solution is not just a competing big tech platform, a competing social media network. The solution is a competing phone operating system that is not Google, it's not Apple, and it's not hosted by Amazon. A competing phone operating system. Because then you can have competition. Then you can have these competing social networks that are allowed to go on 
a phone operating system without worrying that the liberals at Google, Apple, or Amazon are going to prevent them from even entering the marketplace of competition. So that's not an easy thing to think about. I mean, it requires server farms. It requires an incredible amount of money. It requires really, really serious tech savvy. This isn't something that, you know, I could just go out and do, or even someone that's just rich could go out and do. This requires tech genius to do this. Not even just tech savvy, tech genius to do this. And it also requires um, fame, name recognition, so that you can actually sell this. I mean, this is a complete package that's required for someone to be able to bring a phone operating system to the market that's of equal quality to Android and iOS, that's well-funded, that's well-done, that has a marketing scheme based on existing um, an existing following. And if we do this, if somebody does this, then this could be a solution. So who should do this? Well, who should do this is Elon Musk. Elon Musk checks every single box of the solution. He has the money, we know that. He's a successful businessman, he knows how to run a business. He's not just tech savvy, he's a tech genius. He has the fame, the name recognition, and the following to actually put a phone operating system on the market. So then competitors can actually have an entryway into the free market, into the market to compete with big tech. And Elon Musk is free thinking. It doesn't matter if he's full on conservative or not. He's free thinking enough to know that censorship is wrong, to know that free speech is the bedrock of our constitutional republic. Plus Elon Musk could make billions and billions of dollars on this because imagine if, imagine if you competed in this field to protect free speech. At least, at the very least, 74 million Americans would be interested in switching to a new phone operating system that was not a barrier to entry to the market based on the fact, or barring people who uh, were conservative or free thinking. 74 million people would be interested in switching away from Google, away from Apple, away from Amazon hosted websites. Elon Musk, we're calling on you. I mean, th this, is, this is a good idea from every perspective that you look at it. It's a good business idea. It's a good idea for our country. It's a good opportunity to innovate. Our market desperately needs this. This is a way of preventing our country from descending into government bureaucrats um, overtaking big tech because that's where it's headed right now. Now, I, I, I for one would love to hear what Elon Musk actually thinks of this, if this is something that he'd be willing to do because I think the American people would jump behind him so quickly. Um, it would be absolutely overwhelming. And this is the way, as I said, this is the way, the easiest way to solve the big tech crisis. The hard way, of course, is to allow our country to descend into this information dark age, which is going to hurt every single one of us in this country. The easy way is to call on Elon Musk to help us out. And don't get me wrong, I actually don't like to count on one person. I wish that it wasn't, it wasn't something that we had to look to somebody else to do. I wish it was something we could do ourselves. But sometimes there are people in situations in life who have a specific calling for a specific moment in history. And it's up to them to meet that moment, to say, I'm gonna use the gifts that God gave me. I'm gonna use my talents. I'm gonna use the industry that I've built. I'm gonna use you know, my tech savvy, my tech genius. I'm gonna put the force of my personality behind the marketing here. And I'm gonna once and for all solve the big tech crisis. Imagine if that was your legacy, if that was, the, as that, if that was how you were written into the history books. That's a pretty darn good legacy to have. Pretty darn good legacy. 
Our country, however, doesn't just need to be saved from big tech. Our country needs to be saved from Marxists. And I was talking, I mentioned this yesterday, but I, I was talking with people on Instagram um, publicly and on my stories. I was talking to you guys on Instagram over the weekend. And a lot of people express that they feel very discouraged about our country. Like, how, what are we going to do? How do we turn it around? What do we do practically to save our country from the grips of these, these radical leftists who want to usher in Marxism? We're gonna talk about that in just a second. But first, as you guys know, this fall, I'm headed to college campuses across the country in partnership with my friends at the Young America's Foundation. At these events, I'll be able to talk directly with you, with your peers, about the issues that affect all of our lives. Plus, this is the most fun part, I will be taking questions live. YAF is the master of these campus events. You know this. They've been hosting speakers on campus for literally decades. I am thrilled and honored to be working with YAF to come visit your school. Um, right now, you can put in a request to host an event with me on your campus this fall, and you should do it now because spots are filling up fast. It's super easy. All you have to do is go to lizwheelershow.com slash YAF. That's lizwheelershow.com slash YAF. I've always loved meeting students on campuses and at YAF's conferences. It's one of my favorite parts of my jobs. So what are we going to talk about at your school? Well, maybe foreign policy, maybe abortion, maybe vaccine mandates, maybe cancel culture. You know it's going to get interesting. One thing we do know is it will get interesting during the Q&A when the leftists show up. So don't miss out. Put in a request today to host an event with yours truly on your college campus today. Go to lizwheelershow.com slash YAF to submit your request. Once again, that's lizwheelershow.com slash YAF. And I will see you on campus this fall. So how to save our country from Marxists? This is the question. If you're feeling discouraged, are you feeling discouraged? Are you feeling hopeless? Well, there's a practical plan that we can put into action that will prevent our country from being overtaken by Marxists. But just a forewarning, there's no magic cure. There's no secret, you know, silver bullet. There's nothing that's going to be a one-day fix and voila, we have our country back. No, no, the Marxists have played a long game since really as far back as the 1920s, but they really ratcheted it up in the 1960s and the 1970s. And I mean, they, they have their grips on institutions in our country. We know that. They have their grips in our public school system. They have our grips in our, uh, in our court system. They have their grips on now our medical field. All of these different areas um, are pretty thoroughly infiltrated. So how do we take our country back? Here's some action that we can take. First of all, we can ensure that there is school choice on um, a national level. Now, this doesn't mean, by the way, that this has to be legislation from Congress. It just means that in every state, in every school district, you need to push from the very lowest local level, the school board, all the way up to your state legislature, you need to force your representatives to push for school choice. Because if we have a voucher system, if we have a system where parents can take their child and their money out of a public school that is indoctrinating them and send their child to another school that's not, the market forces will dictate that the schools that are indoctrinating your child will not have the funding that they need to survive. And so the bad schools, the brainwashing schools will close. So school choice is a really significant part of this. So we also have to abolish the Department of Education because that's where a lot of the brainwashing actually comes from. It's not necessary. The funding from the Department of Education should be given back to states because education should be a local and state issue. You parents, you are actually the primary stakeholders in your child's education. You are. And when we have a secretary of education that won't even admit that, that denies that you as the mother and the father of your child are not the primary stakeholders, we need to get rid of it. The Department of Education is poison. It's a waste of money. We also need to ensure that there's no federal funding um, for liberal universities, even if they're private universities, that indoctrinate students with Marxism or are intolerant of free speech. And when I say no 
federal funding for private universities. I mean, they shouldn't even get research grants. They shouldn't get a dime of taxpayer money if they are violating free speech or the rights of conservative students in any way, shape, or form. So, and this, I, I'm talking about education first because this is the only way to play the long game, to do the reverse of what the Marxists have done to us. This is the only way to play the long game to make sure that the next generation aren't trained to be Marxist. We have to cut off the brainwashing at the source, which is, of course, the source is the public school system. Leftists actually know this already. This is why people like Professor Elizabeth Bartholet at Harvard, or at Harvard wants to abolish homeschool, or Anna Kasparian of the Young Turks wants to ban private schools. They know the public school system is the best way to train the next generation of docile young Marxists. So we have to cut that off at the source. We then have to abolish the administrative state, aka the deep state, aka the swamp. I say this all the time and I'm gonna keep saying it until it happens. We have to abolish the administrative state. We cannot be ruled by these bureaucratic driven, unaccountable federal agencies and sub-agencies that make rules that we're supposed to abide by when we haven't elected these bureaucrats into their position. They're legislating essentially out of these executive agencies while our legislature does nothing. We, I mean, this is so unconstitutional. It's a violation of the separation of powers. And so we must only nominate and confirm federal judges who will enforce the separation of powers doctrine. So what this means is that even if Congress is so spineless that they will give away their legislative power to these executive agencies, they shouldn't be allowed to do that. We should have judges on the bench that say, ah, that, you're not allowed to do that. Pause, buzz, illegal. The separation of powers doctrine must be enforced by our court system. It's the only way to get rid of the administrative state. Otherwise, these unelected bureaucrats are gonna be ruling us via rules while Congress makes no laws whatsoever. It's time for Congress to do their job and they can, they can be pointless, I guess, if they wanna be pointless, but what they can't do is they can't give away their legislative authority. And when they do, we get people like Fauci. Fauci is like example number one of the administrative state. The other thing that we have to do on a cultural level is we have to defend and promote marriage and the family. And we have to defend and promote the free market. Um, the family, the nuclear family, a married father and mother and their children is the best bulwark against poverty, against crime, against Marxism, against physical and mental health problems. Um, the list actually goes on and on. Marxists need to abolish the family in order to succeed. I mean, this is, this is like bedrock Marxism. If you read the writings of any of these nutty Marxists from the Frankfurt School to before that to after that, any of them, I mean, you see it in Black Lives Matter, you see it in critical race theory. They all want to, they all want to abolish the nuclear family because they know that in order for Marxism to succeed, they must abolish the family. So if we don't let them, if we instead promote the family, strengthen it, strengthen marriage, promote marriage, then the Marxists can't succeed. So th these are some of the things that we can do to reverse the long game that has been played on us that has allowed Marxists to infiltrate our country the way that we have. They've infiltrated our, um, obviously our government, our federal government, these institutions like the public school system and the universities. And yes, even, even our idea of family or our defense of it or our embarrassment at talking about the need for the traditional nuclear family. And so culturally, we have to turn the tides on this. We have to push this. We have to celebrate this. We have to champion this. And if we do all of these things, then the Marxist plan, the Marxist plot to topple America cannot succeed. We can reverse this and we can take America 
um, back. We can make sure our liberties are protected for the next generation. Um, okay, so there's been a ton of hullabaloo about Vice President, former Vice President Mike Pence um, and what he said on Hannity the other night when he was talking about January 6th and the mainstream media has just, I mean, they're so egregious and so just rabid in their lies. They think you're stupid. They think I'm stupid. They think that we don't, we have no capacity to discern the truth. But I, I happen to think actually that Pence's take on January 6th is pretty darn accurate. He's pretty correct here. Take a listen. Look, you can't spend uh, almost five years in a political foxhole without somebody, without without developing a strong relationship. And, uh, you know, January 6th was a tragic day uh, in the history of our Capitol building. But uh, thanks to the efforts of uh, Capitol Hill police, federal officials, the Capitol was secured. We finished our work. Uh, and the president and I sat down a few days later and talked through all of it. I can tell you that we parted amicably at the end of the administration, and we've talked a number of times since we both left office. But but I believe that our entire focus today should be on the future. I've campaigned a couple of times for Glenn Youngkin, who will be a great governor in the state of Virginia. I've been traveling all across this country, helping our team running for the House and the Senate, and I'll be helping governor's candidates around America. So I know the, I know the media wants to distract from the Biden administration's failed agenda by focusing on one day in January. They want to use that one day wow. to try and demean uh, the, the, the character and intentions of 74 million Americans who believed we could be strong again and prosperous again and supported our administration in 2016 and, and 2020. But for our part, I, I truly believe we all ought to remain completely focused on the future. That's where I'm focused, and I, I really well, I do want believe, a commission too. I believe that I believe the future is bright. So CNN's Chris Saliza actually proves Mike Pence's point here that the mainstream media is just using January 6th as a distraction. They're using it to demonize all Trump supporters. Um, because he published Saliza published this op-ed. I mean, I don't know that CNN calls it an op-ed, but that's what it is because it's just his opinion. Um, CNN published this op-ed from Chris Saliza um, directly after Pence appeared on Hannity. And this is what Saliza wrote. He, go, he goes, quote, January 6th wasn't just one day in January, Mike Pence. It was, in fact, the first time the U.S. Capitol had been breached in more than 200 years, end quote. So first of all, the first time in 200 years? Am, am I incorrect in remembering that abortion radicals, didn't abortion radicals take over the Senate balcony when Kavanaugh, when the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation hearings were happening. And isn't that pretty much the same thing? I mean, they were not supposed to be there, and they were. Just like on January 6th, they were not supposed to be there, and they were. It's, it's, it's funny the selective memory that Democrats have, um, that they just completely dismiss, they completely dismiss um, what happened during the Kavanaugh hearings. But Saliza goes on, he says, quote, it was a violent insurrection aimed at overturning the certified results of a presidential election it was the culmination of years of lies told by the Trump administration about election integrity, end quote. I love how um, the left refuses to acknowledge concerns that half of the country has. Half of the country has concerns about election integrity, and it's actually not even the idea of voter fraud or the fact that voter fraud happens isn't even a partisan idea. You'll remember that former President Carter was part of the Carter-Baker Commission that found that voter fraud is actually rampant. So people like Chris Saliza and others on the left who refuse to acknowledge these concerns are not being willfully blind for their own agenda, but they're also ignoring the concerns of literally half the country. So when they claim to be unifiers, they claim to not be hateful, they claim to be inclusive and tolerant, they're actually not. They're dismissing half of the country, half. Also, it's funny how 
Um, he says, the culmination, this is the culmination of years of lies. Um, but the congressional baseball game, remember? The shooter that shot Steve Scalise? The congressional baseball game shooting wasn't the culmination of Bernie Sanders' rhetoric, even though the shooter was a Bernie Sanders fanatic, at least according to the left. The double standard is atrocious. Silissa goes on, he says, as for the notion that the media has pushed January 6th as a way to distract from what is happening in the Biden administration, well, you should tell that to a law enforcement, or to law enforcement. According to a database maintained by USA Today, more than 600 people in 40 states have been charged with a crime or crimes for their actions on January 6th, end quote. More than 600, okay. 600 is a huge number compared to the 300 million people who live in our nation or the 74 million people who voted for Trump. A huge number, not a fringe minority, a huge number. And also, just so we're clear here, charged with crimes just means that the FBI is pursuing them and not pursuing the who knows how many Black Lives Matter rioters and looters and arsonists who destroyed cities across the country over the past year and a half. But Saliza ignores that, of course. He says, more than 100 police officers were injured in the melee. Five people lost their lives during that day. Many people who lived through the experience continue to struggle with the physical and emotional fallout, end quote. So let's be very clear here. 100 police officers hurt? Yes, that's bad. No one's justifying that. Now, tell me how many cops were hurt or killed due to Black Lives Matter riots, protests, projectiles being hurled at cops, people flipping police cars, burning police precincts, the anti-police rhetoric that's come from the left for the last years, the lies told by the Black Lives Matter movement about cops targeting black men. I bet you can't actually tell me the number of cops that have been hurt because Crystal is a hypocrite who doesn't actually care about police. He's just trying to use this as an excuse. As for the five people who lost their lives um, on or around January 6th, let's talk about how, how he's deliberately misrepresenting this. First, we have Ashley Babbitt who was shot by a cop in the left shoulder. And she died. She was shot by a cop. Then we have Kevin Greeson, who died of natural causes from cardiovascular disease. Tragic, as all deaths are. We have Benjamin Phillips, who died of natural causes, likewise, from cardiovascular disease. We have Roseanne Boyland, who died from a drug overdose. And we have Officer Brian Sicknick, who was not, in fact, killed by a fire extinguisher. He died the next day eight hours after um, these protests of a stroke, natural causes, after collapsing, he died, like I said, the very next day. So let's not pretend that the rioters killed anybody because they did not. They did not. The only homicide that happened that day was a Capitol Police officer shot and killed Ashley Babbitt. But CNN's Chris Eliza thinks you're stupid and therefore he deliberately misrepresents the truth. And he's not done. He says, then finally, the idea put forward by Pence that they the media, Democrats, the deep state, are trying to paint all Trump supporters with the broad brush of insurrectionists because of the actions of a few, end quote. Well, Chris, you literally just did that when you pretended that 600 people charged with crimes represent the entire 74 million Trump voters. So like I said, Crystalis is actually exemplifying everything that he's denying. And he's, he's blaming Trump and Trump supporters by saying Trump relentlessly promoted, this is a quote, the Stop the Seal rally on January 6th. He and his top allies, including Giuliani, spoke at the rally and Trump flags and paraphernalia were everywhere as the ground stormed the Capitol, end quote. So let's be very clear here. What did Trump say on January 6th before, um, before these people stormed the Capitol? What did he say at the actual rally? He said, and I quote, I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. 
He said, we fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're, going to, you're not going to have a country anymore. Peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. They don't care. The mainstream media literally doesn't care about you. They just lie to you. They just treat you like an idiot. They just want you to be a docile little Marxist. Thank goodness that we are not about that. Um, final note for the show today, because we are out of time, according to the great and powerful Jay Hay. Um, poll on my locals. Go to lizwheelershow.com slash locals. There's a poll. Do you want Donald Trump to run for president again in 2024? Yes or no? Please vote on locals, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Also, if you're interested in more on the big tech censorship issue that our country is facing, um, a new documentary, a new documentary has recently been published. It is directed by none other than the great and powerful Jay Hay. You can find it on Prager. It is called Restricted. Um, on that note, we are out for the day. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or whatever you get your pods. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzl. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.